Hi everyone and welcome to the Primer Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Uh, welcome to the show. Really great to have you all here. Uh, and uh, I've got a new guest with me today. Um, and uh, just before I introduce them, I just want to talk a little for just a minute or two about my um, new online community, which I've just started, um, called The Sanctuary. Um, this is a uh, it's a safe space for people who uh, are on a deconstruction journey, who are overcoming grief and trauma, who are doing the work of transformation, um, just to be themselves and to be safe and to have community together um, safely. Um, fully inclusive and anti-racist space, um, trauma-informed space for people. Uh, and, yeah, I would love you to, to check that out. Um, um, you can get it free for a week as well uh, if you want to just test it and see if, see if it's for you. Um, but it's the kind of community that I wanted to, that I, that I would like myself. <laughs> and I thought, well, why don't I just make it and then invite other people to it? So, um you can um you can go and sign up for that uh, at um and I think the website is um jamesprescott.mn.co I think uh and um yeah and also there'll be links on my Twitter page as well um and I'll be tweeting about it so um go and check that out too um so yeah, I want to recommend all of that to all of you, and I hope that that can be a safe space for you. So, all right, um, little mini plug over, <laughs> uh, and um, now it's a welcome to my guest, um, a friend of mine who um, we've been trying to arrange arrange her to come on the show for a while and keep and little things have got in the way, but uh, I'm really glad she's here now. Welcome, Jenna Dewitt. Hey, it's glad to be good to be here, James. Yes, it's really great, really great to have you here. Um, I'm really excited about this conversation we're going to have. Um, so, yeah, tell us a bit about yourself and your story. Yeah, well, um, my name is Jenna DeWitt. My pronouns are she, her. Um, I'm aromantic, asexual, and I identify as a Methodist at the moment, a progressive Methodist. Um, so I'm not part of the evangelical world, um, but proximity to it in the mainline world. Um you may hear a little bit of an accent. Yes, I have family from Texas. So if that comes out, that's the explanation for that. Um, but I currently live in Southern California, where it's beautiful and sunny right now um, in mid-January. Um, so it's it's a good life here, you know? Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, and you do a lot of activism as well, don't you? Um, uh, around, um, you know, around... Uh, your sexuality and you know fully and inclusion and all of that kind of thing you do a lot of tell us a bit about your your advocacy work yeah so um right now especially on twitter but in other spaces as well i advocate for full inclusion of the lgbtqia um spectrum of people within the church and so i want people to know that you can be both christian and queer and we're using queer there as kind of an umbrella term for all of the letters that belong under the LGBTQIA plus umbrella. Um, so a lot of people fall under different um, identities within that, whether it's gender, sexual orientation, or romantic orientation. Um, and so using just uh, the word queer is kind of an umbrella level. So we don't have to keep spelling out all the label, all the different like letters. Um, but full inclusion within the church, because so many people have been told 
that they can't have their faith and their orientation. Um, and we know from a broad, broad range of research that you can't choose to not be who you are. Um, and you, you know, if, when people leave the faith, they, they do so sadly often um, because they've been told they can't be part of it. Um, so I would just want to challenge that narrative and open up the possibility for queer Christianity to exist in a healthy, safe, um, just Jesus honoring space that you don't have to give up parts of your faith or the Bible or uh, going to church or anything like that, that you can fully belong and fully include um, within the family of God. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, and that's a really important thing. And we need that. We need, the church has to become inclusive. I think to me, like if, to me, exclusion is not a, is not a Jesus thing. That makes sense. I don't think it's a. Right. Exactly. Well, and that's what I was trying to say is like, not only can you as like you as in a queer person or you as in an ally belong to a church, but you can include as well. So belonging and being able to include others. I think there's a lot of people out there who have compassionate hearts and they want to be inclusive, but they think, oh, I just can't, like the Bible doesn't say that, or I can't do that, or that's not church tradition, or whatever. like I want to, I want to love people well, but my faith tells me I can't. And I think that's where we run into a lot of problems is if we're saying that our faith is excluding people from being loving, like, like there, you know, there's something about our faith that keeps us from loving other people then that's when it's time to not reevaluate who's included and who's excluded, but to reevaluate our faith. Like if our faith is keeping us from loving people fully and including them and affirming them, then there's something poisoned with our faith. It's not that there's poison in the community. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely does. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's inclusion to me goes, just goes alongside justice it goes alongside love it goes alongside all the things that you just talked about um it's not a theological issue even for me it's just a matter of you want to have a you want to create the kind of world that jesus talked about <laughs> um a loving just world then everybody is included and everyone is equal and everyone belongs uh and and the damage that some of the toxic theology uh, the kind of non-affirming theology has done to people. You know, I, you know, I read stories of of people's mental health being affected, of people getting depression, of people taking their own lives because of the damage of that toxic theology. And if that theology is, if theology is having that impact on people, then to me, it can't be from from the divine because the divine is about love and inclusion and justice. Yeah, and it affects the entire world, literally. Um, because it's not just a thing of like, oh, well, you just leave that church and you're not affected by it anymore. Um, one, we carry with us the wounds that we've gotten from childhood, the wounds that we've gotten in our youth years, um, in young adulthood, that carries forward throughout our lives. Um, and then other people are hearing those messages as well. But also that we have so much Christianity within our governments around the world, um, that so much of the Western world is um, influenced heavily by, quote, Christian values. Um, so if we can redefine what that means and redefine Christian values as love and affirmation and welcome and compassion and empathy and the fruits of the spirit, which I won't name all of those, there's a lot of them. But if if we could be known by the fruits of the spirit, I think we would have a very different world on the geopolitical landscape, not only in your average evangelical church on a street corner downtown. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I can't really put it any better myself, to be honest. Um, I mean, what did that journey look like for you of discovering your, 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 you know, your, your identity and um, embracing that uh, and alongside your faith? Yeah, you know, um, so I grew up in a, like I said, I grew up Methodist, and that's a little bit more um, on the progressive side, at least here in the U.S., um, I grew up always with women pastors, a very feminist kind of church. Um, so it wasn't really a big surprise for me, um, you know, to, to embrace feminism in my life. That wasn't a stretch for me. In fact, I was more surprised to find out that other churches didn't because I, I didn't think it was a very Christian value to exclude women from positions of leadership. I, I just didn't see how that could they could reconcile that position with the Bible, um, with you know, strong leaders from Deborah to Priscilla and everyone in between. Um, so, you know, I come from this very strong background, um, of women in leadership. And so exposing that from the beginning, um, was something that I was like, okay, I'm just going to have to agree to disagree with, um, certain evangelicals on things or more conservative people on things. Um, but I really didn't understand the issue of specifically gay affirming theology. So there's a lot of different affirming theologies of things you can affirm, but, um, specifically with, um, same sex marriage was the big deal for a long time. Um, until Jennifer Knapp came out. She was a CCM artist, a big like rock star, and she came out as a lesbian. And I didn't understand why people were mad about that. Like I knew, I kind of knew that they they would want to like delete her music and she wasn't a good influence for me, but I didn't understand like, what was it about that? Like, what, you know, like I just saw some people are extroverts and some people are gay and, you know, it's, there's not like, a, you know, <laughs> yeah, sure. They might be different yeah. than, that like it wasn't like they were bad or there was any moral value behind it. It was just a different way of living their life. Um, so for me, I'm going you know through evangelical college at Baylor, not really knowing what evangelicalism is, and in a very evangelical church, even though I didn't realize that's what that was at the time. Um, and so you know I'm, I'm kind of going throughout this naively because I just assumed that people were as progressive as I was, and I'm kind of having to learn in reverse. You know, you talk about ex-evangelicals are learning that there is a more progressive world from a conservative world. And I was coming from a more liberal world and learning that there, the conservative world existed. And it really took a long time for me to realize the extent of conservatism and, and just how far it went in the main mainstream institutions that I was involved with or working for, or, you know, going to school at or whatever, going to church at. Um, so at the same time, as I'm kind of becoming more affirming intentionally myself, you know, cause it, it kind of been one of those positions that I'd say like, I just don't want to go there. Like, I don't want to argue with people. It's not that big of a deal. Like, let's just agree to disagree kind of thing. Um, but then in 2012, 13, 14, uh, Rachel Held Evans started writing about it more on her blog. Well, coincidentally, in a very different part of my life in the, um, in the Doctor Who and fandom and uh, Disney and Marvel and all that world. Um, I, I was involved in some online communities of people talking about things that they enjoy and, you know, all the, all the different things that go along with that. Um, new movies come out and stuff. It's like, and mm. people mentioning in the Doctor Who fandom that um, they were different. I, there were different identities beyond just being gay. Like you could be bisexual or pansexual or asexual, um, demisexual. And we'll talk about what some of those terms mean. Um, but they were exposing me to new viewpoints and I didn't know like where, so I, I had this theology bit that people were coming more intentionally affirming and, and knowing how to process that. 
and then also hearing about all these different labels. And I'm, you know, thinking I'm straight, but I don't really understand why I don't really want any of these things. You know, when I was presented with the binary option of like, do you like girls or do you like guys? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Like, I don't, do I have to choose? You know, like, I guess if I have to choose, I have to choose boys because that's an easier life path. <laughs> that's what society wants from you, especially that I was living in a really conservative place at the time. And so I'm going on, you know, go, going on friend group gatherings with guys. And I'm so I'm exposed to really nice men. And I uh, went on a, a blind date. This was really kind of the clincher was that I went on a blind date with a guy who was perfect for me. Like just on paper, um, my friend who set us up, like said, he just enjoys everything that you enjoy. He's into the Doctor Who thing. He likes all the movies you like, you know, so as far as like theology, he was in on board with all my theological views. We sat and we had this long conversation over pizza and it was so fun and a really enjoyable person. But he let me know, like he was ready. He was ready to look for a life and he had his life plan and what he wanted to do. And he was serious and he wasn't just hanging out as friends. Like he really wanted a romantic relationship in, in his life. And I was kind of, you know, like, I was like, okay, like this, this is a real thing. I'm not just hanging out with a guy who's a friend and I can't pretend anymore. And I had to realize something was wrong with me, that it wasn't that I hadn't met the right guy. I met lots of the guys who could have been great for me. It's that I was attracted to men at all. And so once you kind of had that realization of like, oh gosh, I'm, it's me. Like I'm not attracted to men. That's a realization that has to confront something in you that has to change something in you. And so I, you know, examined the female friendships in my life or, you know, the celebrity women that I loved or those sort of things. And I didn't feel anything for them either, you know, like opening up that permission when you like can kind of say like, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe all of my life I've been hiding something or suppressing something. And it wasn't that either. Like I didn't have those feelings for girls either. And so I had to be something else. And about that time, so I, I go to my um, online friends and I say, I, I think there's something wrong with me. I think that I'm not, I'm, I'm not connecting. Maybe there's, you know, I need to go to therapy or something. And they, they were like, no, like you're, you know, you're somewhere on the asexuality spectrum. And so at first identified as demisexual. And that's when you have an emotional bond with somebody. And that's what leads you to attraction. So normally you wouldn't necessarily have sexual attraction or for, for aromanticism, romantic attraction. Um, but demisexual and demiromantic mean that you do experience attraction, but only after you formed a bond with someone. So I thought, okay, well, that's that explains why I've dated guys in the past or, you know, maybe I, I just really liked them in that way. But the more I examined it, the more I realized that as an adult, I hadn't really experienced any of the feelings of attraction once people described what it was like. You know, it was it was nice to hang out with guys and to be friends with them and to, you know, have attention and to be able to love someone else and and that sort of thing. But I hadn't experienced what other people experience. And it was just this bizarre realization that I, <laughs> you know, I don't have what everyone else has and I'm different. But what was really great, James, is that there's this whole community of people out there who are like me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not an alien. I'm not broken. And neither are these people that, you know, if you, if there's something different about you, it's not that you're the only one. It's that, you know, that you're just more rare and there's nothing wrong with being rare. Um, you know, you just got to find the people in community out there 
that are like you. And then we have so much fun together. And the thing about the LGBTQIA umbrella is that um, we're big enough to hold all of that. And so there's some Mm -hmm. people who might be biromantic, but asexual. And there's some people who might be homoromantic, but asexual. And you can be any combination of those things. You can be a gray sexual person, which means you only experience rarely. And so I have friends who are pansexual, but they're also gray sexual. And so they do experience attraction to any gender, but it's not all the time. It's very rare when they do. So there's this whole mishmash of things. And then especially if you add in gender identity, um, we're all in community together because those identities overlap so much. It's not black and white, straight or gay. It's everything in between. There's a a whole people out there and those colors all blend together rainbows aren't just in stripes rainbows are a spectrum that's right it's so true everything just crosses over it's almost yeah there's like nuance there's nuance in sexuality you know it's um like you say the crossovers uh and i've got friends who are who are who are uh, pansexual and 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 gray and uh, polyamorous as well i didn't mention them but um, which is almost the other, almost the opposite end of, like of that in terms of that you know polyamorous people can have relationships with more than one person and be in love with more than one person um, at the same time, um, and it all belongs. It all belongs at the table. Um, it's just we're all we're all different, and it's a beautiful thing. You know, I think that's, I think that's that's what I that's what I feel anyway. I mean, that's how I see it. Um, you know, and it's all it's. It's all it's all beautiful. We're all kind of we're all different, and that's and that's a great thing. That's a good thing. Exactly. Well, and from a Christian standpoint, it just makes sense logically. Like it's not like we're out here, you know, trying to be like, oh, just follow your selfish desires or that sort of thing. People will accuse us of that, of like, oh, well, you just wanted to sleep with so and so, or you just want to have a bunch of sex or whatever. But clearly, I uh, throw a cog in that because <laughs> that's the whole thing is that I'm not. Um, but I mean, some, some asexual people do have sex, but you know, like the whole thing is that it's like, no, we're just born different. Like God just made us different, but doesn't it make sense that if you look at all the other things that God created, all of the different races, all of the different um, plants, all the, you know, like I, I say, like, if you've gone behind a dumpster and seen all the wildflowers that grow in an alley, surely you can believe that people are so much better, you know, and, and looking at like, even scripture says like, look at the the wildflowers in the field. Like they don't worry about anything. Like, why are we all so worried about keeping people in their boxes? You know, and I know that's not exactly mm. what that verse is talking about, but it just opens up my mind to be like, look at the diversity around you. Look at um, all the planets and the galaxies and the ever expanding universe. And then go down to the tiniest electron that there's things smaller than electrons. And, you know, we're just discovering those and all of the, the microbiomes and the things that are under the ocean that, you know, are there. And we might never even know about all the different life forms that exist or have existed in times before us. And then you're going to try to tell me that God only invented two genders and that they should only be together in one very narrow path. That just doesn't make sense at all. It doesn't make any logical sense, actually, when you think about it. When you think about it objectively, uh, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you'll, you, everything you said is absolutely, absolutely correct. You know, and and I was just thinking of how different 
individual people are anyway. You know, we have different hair colors, different hair lengths, different hairstyle, different eye color, different, you know, it just everything. We're just like, there's not one human being who is identical to another one, apart from even identical twins are different people, you know, um, they're different consciousness, different personalities, different, you know, they're still different, even though they're, they're, they're kind of, they're identical. Um, everybody is different and that's, that's beautiful. I don't know why it doesn't make any sense to me that, I mean, there's people use about five verses in the Bible and, and misinterpret them and misunderstand them out of context to mean something that they don't mean. And um, which doesn't really fit with the character of the divine at all. Um, well, or even with the science of the universe. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. We were made in the image of God and God itself or himself or themselves, whatever pronouns you prefer to use for God, um, it has so much diversity within himself. Like we've got the father and the son and the Holy spirit and all of those three work together as one God. And so if there's even diversity within God's self, like, of course that we're made in his image, we're going to have diversity within ourselves as well. Um, so I, I think that it's beautiful, not just because it's creation and a piece of art made by creator, but because we're a reflection of God himself, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I th- yeah. I, 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 yeah. I absolutely agree. Um, and uh, yeah, we need to, we need to get this to me. It's not a, to, I can't agree to differ with people on this issue. <laughs> like, you know, to me, to me, it's just a matter of this is how it is. You know, full inclusion. Everyone belongs. Everyone is invited. Everyone is welcome. Everyone is equal. Yeah. Um, everyone is everyone is is beautiful as they are. Everyone belongs as they are. Um, it's so simple when it comes down to it. Um, and the, the, like I said before, the damage that toxic theology has done to people shows to me that it can't be from that can't be divine. That can't be love. That can't be that can't be justice. You know, it's not. Yeah. Um, it's not the way of Jesus, that that kind of theology. And I, I know I've got friends who believe in that theology, but I don't agree with it. Um, and, you know, I can't, I, you know, we have to, I, I don't agree to differ with them on it. It's just, we just don't talk about it. Um, um, but it, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it, it's, you're right. You know, we're all, everything belongs. Yeah. And, you know, I think of it like, um, it has to go beyond welcome. So a lot of churches say like all are welcome, um, but they don't necessarily mean that all belong or that all are affirmed or that all are equal. And so, um, you know, I, I talked to some of these people who say like, well, you know, we, we need to welcome in these people, but they can't live a certain way. They can't follow their lifestyle. They can't act on their attractions. They can't, you know, they have all these extra rules for people who fall under the LGBTQ umbrella. And that's not equality. They'll say like, oh, we want to treat them just as we do everyone else. And we want to make sure that they're, they feel loved and welcome and that sort of thing. But you can't have both. You can't put extra rules on people and then expect them to also be equal to everyone else. It has to be equality. It has to be true equality and equity that people are not just welcomed in or affirmed, but you, you really are. Like when you're talking about um, examples in your sermon that you open up the possibility that maybe a wife 
you know, is not necessarily of, of a man that you know, if, if you're up there talking about, hey, men, we need to love our wives. Some men need to love their husbands or, you know, we may not be married or, you know, there there are people who don't have kids. There are people who don't have an interest in having a partner. And so having more diversity um, isn't just a word of affirmation. It's also a word of actual inclusion and belonging in the structure itself, in the system. Yeah, that's right. That's right. They say you're, you're very, very spot on about that. That nuance between being, between welcoming everybody and including everybody, you know, uh, and I've been in churches like that, which are, so they're kind of, you know, they welcome everybody, but actually not everyone's included or treated the same. Yeah. And, uh, and that's wrong. I mean, that's not, you know, fully, I've talked to other, other people on this podcast about, about full inclusion and what that looks like in the church and, you know, where everyone basically gets to, to serve and to be part of the community on an equal footing, regardless of, um, of gender, uh, assignment regardless of sexuality you know regardless of whatever label they put put on themselves it doesn't matter um you know i mean i visited a church in san diego um a couple of years ago where a lot of the leadership were lgbtq and you know the pastor was lgbtq um, and it was it was one of the most beautiful churches i've ever been to because it was fully inclusive and everyone was equal uh and there was no judgment and um so many people, new people were showing up who were LGBTQI couples and it was wonderful um, because there was no, there was no hierarchy in a sense. Everyone was equal and everyone belonged and everyone was accepted uh, and invited to be part of that community and serving in that community. And it was, it was like, this is what church should be like. This is what church should feel like, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. And I know not everybody lives in a place like San Diego where they're able to do that or able to have even a church of, um, straight-led people that are actually inclusive and welcoming. Um, so I think that this pandemic time this past year has been really important in showing us how online communities can flourish. And so that's something I'm very passionate about as well, is creating online communities where people can exist together, even though they're physically really far apart. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah, um, we need more of that. Actually, one of my, when I mentioned my community that I've started um recently that one of the things one of the one of the reasons i started that space was was for that purpose i mean i made one of the i made it very very clear in the boundaries and the rules of that space that it's it's fully inclusive and that everyone is equal and that uh and that any kind of phobia of any any kind of you know there's so many labels i could use phobia but any kind of that of that kind of um exclusive and non-affirming perspective isn't isn't welcome uh, and that everybody everybody belongs and everyone is equal. We need communities like that. Um, um, and yeah, you're right. And online, actually, at the moment is is you know the only way that we can because of the pandemic. You know, it's we can't go and meet in person. So we need more of those communities and safe spaces uh, online. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, and yeah, and I mean, what. Have you seen any examples of really great communities uh, that are doing this work well? Well, I have seen a few like local churches. Um, I think there's some United Church of Christ churches that are doing this well. 
um, Episcopal churches, some ECLA Lutheran, um, and then my own denomination is the United Methodist. And so I think it exists really well at a local church level. But I think people are surprised about that because they picture the mainline church and they picture old people and they think, oh, no, they're going to be very conservative because they are, of a pre, you know, uh, an older generation. Um, and so I think people have a very confused idea of which church is going to um, affirm and accept them. They think like, oh, if a church is younger and has, you know, cool marketing design, um, you know, a coffee shop and that sort of thing, then they'd be more welcoming. But often, at least in the U.S., um, the scene is very different, that it's usually the older churches that are singing um, hymns to an organ um, have been liberal for a very long time. Um, and so they're more rooted in the community as far as um, social justice issues, um, even sometimes racial issues, not always. Um, but, and then they're also more likely to be affirming. So sometimes I think it um, a challenge is getting beyond our generational um, prejudices or preferences or whatever you want to call it, um, and being able to connect with older generations um, in a way that you might not expect, that you may you may have some prejudices against other generations. And you might go there and actually discover that some of these elders and leaders within that community are under the queer umbrella themselves. And so I think that's a really important thing that we have to learn to break beyond our assumptions and to join these communities that may not look like what we assume um, a more progressive community looks like. Um, but also I have seen um, many groups popping up on the internet um, from a bigger, broader, like non-local church background from, from more of a, a parachurch, we would call it, um, background. And that's one is uh, Matt Nightingale has a contemplative spirituality group for LGBTQIA people. And so uh, we join every other Monday night. We get online and we read scripture together and we listen to a Christian song. And then we can talk about how those things have affected our faith, whether it's a verse that's been used against us and seeing the beauty and truth in it um, or just what we're going through spiritually in our lives. And so I really reject the premise that uh, people who are affirming or people who are queer Christians are not engaging with scripture or that they're not um Mm. the Bible or Jesus or prayer or spiritual disciplines, because that's just not true at all. The communities that I'm involved in are very involved in those things, whether it's through liturgy and tradition, or whether it's through um, ex exploring contemplative ways of doing things or living out spiritual disciplines in their life um, or being involved in social justice efforts. And when I'm talking about social justice efforts, I'm not talking specifically about having a sign at a protest. I'm talking about serving the homeless and setting up soup kitchens and, um, you know, helping out with all sorts of needs in the community, whatever just pops up, whether it's elder care or child care, respite care for special needs children. That's what I encompass as a social justice embracing theology. And it's a very Methodist thing of me to say, but, um, for, for me as a, as a Methodist, the social gospel takes the words of Jesus and we are the hands and feet that we go do and we love and um, we're giving our finances and our resources, not just because um, like some evangelical churches will say, like, if you give, then you'll receive back. And so it's sort of a selfish mindset of that. Um, if you financially invest in quote God's kingdom, then you'll have more for yourself. Mm. And that's what it's about. What it's about is seeing somebody else's need and knowing that you have something 
that could help them in their need and seeing them as a sibling in Christ, seeing them as somebody who um, reflects the image of God equally as you do and being able to help them in their suffering and in their pain. And I think we can view that as the marginalized community as well. Um, When we have LGBTQIA people in our churches, um, we're more likely to see those needs, whether it's a kid in a well-off home who might be rejected by their parents or somebody being bullied at school or, um, you know, trans homelessness is up really high and youth suicides and, you know, we talk about addiction and all these things are LGBTQIA issues, but they're also the issues that the church has historically been a forerunner in. And so when we talk about things like social justice or tithing or um, volunteering, being involved in a church, um, those are issues that the queer Christian community can be a bridge between a lot of needs and the resources to be able to help them. So I think there's some some gifts that my community can also bring to the church at large that the church misses out on when they're rejecting us. They're missing out on their own vision and mission when they reject our community. Absolutely. Absolutely right. Yeah, that's right. It, it, yeah, I mean, I come from a Methodist background as well, actually, which is... Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, no, I grew up in the Methodist church in England. And um, again, like like you said, women, women in leadership was normalized for me as a child. Uh, <laughs> We had a woman minister at our church, um, and it was just normal for me. I didn't even think it was a an issue until I left, till I till I went to university, and uh, <laughs> and I went to other denominations. And yeah, it was like, oh, this is an issue. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I love Matt Nightingale. I love him. Uh, he's um, he's been a guest on the show, uh, and he's fantastic. I love him. Uh, he's doing some amazing work. Uh, and and you're right. You know, it's. You know, living out the way of Jesus is about social justice and meeting the needs of the people around you, and giving of what you have to help people people who don't have. It, it's just, I think that's just about being a good human being as well. To be honest, like, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, just being a kind, compassionate person, you know. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's again amazing, really, um, what you talk about, and it's great that those communities exist and. Um, yeah, maybe maybe give me the link for that, and I'll put it in the show notes and stuff, so people can have a look at it um, if they want to uh, if they want to connect with that and have a look at it as well. So that would be fantastic. Um, sure, sure. And also yeah. for other LGBTQA people, so that Matt, Gim, Matt Nightingale's um, spiritual connections um, for LGBTQA people, um, but if um, there are other denominations you're interested in or um, you know, trying to find a church, that sort of thing. I do have another list of resources that's um, inclusive. There's like a Methodist uh, Reconciling Ministries Network group that can help you find Methodist churches. Um, There's Catholic advocacy groups. So even if you're in, or Baptist, um, if you're in a denomination itself that is not publicly affirming um, or hasn't gotten there yet, there are denominational organizations for that. Or if you're interested in a non-denominational church, there's Church Clarity and GayChurch.org and there are ways to get connected with a local community. So you're not um, so dependent on just having Twitter as your community. But then I also have a Twitter list that if you're not ready to join a church or an organization yet, um, you can just follow a bunch of queer Christians on Twitter. And I'll have the link to that as well, that I host that. And anybody who wants to join it can uh, direct message me on Twitter and, and be involved in that. 
absolutely that'd be great uh that'd be great i i would really encourage you to connect with jenna uh um and on twitter because yeah all those resources i think there are plenty of twitter profiles some of them so um yeah definitely check those out um we've had some other people who do some similar advocacy work to you on on the show as well so um l l rose was on the show a couple of times last year and she's amazing she's um she's amazing and um, a good friend of mine and um there's some great people doing some great things uh in this area so um just one final thing like what what would be what would be the advice that you give to church communities who want to be more inclusive and affirming um not just in terms of welcoming, but in terms of, you know, real inclusion. And what, yeah. what advice would you give? Um, I think I want to, from from a real meta viewpoint, I guess, um, back up and say, um, when you're asking what should we do and what shouldn't we do and where's the morality line and who should we include and who should not include and that sort of thing, um, I want to get back to the heart of Jesus. And so that is a cheesy worship line, but you really have to think about it. You really have to go deeper beyond like, oh, I'm going to sing a little song and get to the heart of, of Jesus. And, you know, it's it's something that we grew up saying all the time, but we have to stop and take a look and say, what is in the Gospels? What is the heart that, that Jesus actually wants for us? And look at the things he did. Taking care yeah. of children taking care of the widows, honoring those who had nothing, um, talking about the kingdom, being like going after the one sheep or the woman who found the, the one coin in her whole house. She searched everywhere for it. That's God's heart for LGBTQIA people is that he wants every one of us is important. Um, and so I think getting back to the heart means having to get rid of all of your forms of we do this, we don't do this, we do this, we don't do this. And so we have all these rules and checklists, the who, what, where, when, why. And, and you can have sex in this way, but you can't with these kind of people and not only under these circumstances. And you know, we have these rule books that we try to create because it's so much easier than getting back to the heart. And I always tell people, you know that the Holy Spirit can guide you. And so you can trust that within you. But then I have the conservatives come back and say, well, no, that's not the voice of God. That's not the Holy Spirit. You're not following God's will. You're following your own selfish desires. But we can know. We have a way of knowing. And it's not a checklist. It's not a form. It's not a rule book. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And so, you know, I was kind of talking about earlier is that churches can gauge what they're doing and whether they're doing it well by what the fruit of the Spirit are manifesting in their lives and ministries. And so if you're seeing that in the people in your congregation, um, ask how, how we can increase this and how we can go more. And if you're not seeing it, say, what are the barriers? What is keeping us from living out goodness and gentleness and self-control and humility and kindness and uh, you know all of these things, peace, patience? Um, there's, there's all of this huge list that we see in the Bible about how things are supposed to go. And it takes the heart, not the rule book. Absolutely, absolutely. It takes the heart, not the rule book. Love that. Love it. That's beautiful. Oh, yeah. That's it. That nails it. Absolutely. It takes the heart, not the rule book. Yes. Oh, yeah. I don't want to let people off the hook, though. I don't want to say like your good intentions are enough because they're not. 
you do need to analyzing your ministry. I'm not trying to get away from numbers. Numbers can be good. Um, So how many people did we have on stage this year that are not the senior pastor? Because senior pastors, even in very progressive and affirming denominations, tend to be older white men, uh, which there's nothing wrong with those guys, but they just don't represent all of humanity. Um, So how many women did we have on stage? How many queer people did we have on stage? What kind were they? Because if they were also white men, they just happen to be gay, you're still not representing all of the LGBTQ umbrella. And so what races were they? What, you know, what Sunday school leaders do we have and small group leaders and Bible study leaders? What curriculum are we using? Is it inclusive or exclusive? Um, The books that we're studying as a congregation. And so I think it is important not just to do the heart and do the good intentions, but also to break down, like, what does that actually look like when played out? Who are we reaching? What area of town are we in? Um, and, and kind of reevaluating your demographics of who you're serving and who's leading and who's influencing um, and who are you encouraging people to go after. Because if you're doing a Bible study by somebody who um, is not affirming, but you claim to be an affirming church, or you're singing worship songs by a church that leads a conversion therapy ministry, the chances are that even you can say all day that you're inclusive and welcoming, but if a queer person walks into your church and you're singing songs by a conversion ministry or you're singing, you're having worship, you know, led by somebody who's very publicly on their Twitter that they're not affirming or you have um, Bible studies that you're advertising and books for sale in your bookstore, um, all of those things um, need to be reevaluated of what would be welcoming to somebody from the target demographic that I'm trying to reach, um, whether it's a different race or a different economic background or orientation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, really, really important. Meditation needs to lead to action. Um, contemplation needs to lead to action. Um, Can I say one more thing too, is that it's important to not just do those things based on your assumptions as a straight person, but actually talk to people. So don't just say like, what would be welcoming to me? But also I want to clarify that because I said that I said, what would be welcoming to me if I were, but also talking to people who actually are. And so (laughs) your assumptions might be wrong. I'm so sorry. Your assumptions as a straight person about what it's like to be queer are probably wrong. Um, So actually going to people and a wide variety of people under the LGBTQI umbrella and asking them what makes them feel more comfortable and welcome and affirmed in a church that goes so far um, versus one, having the good intentions and then two, making assumptions. Um, But you also have to actually talk to people and then do what they tell you to do, like not just get feedback, but actually act on their feedback. So I would say those are probably the four steps that need to be gone through is having the heart getting rid of the rule book, um, reevaluating everything in your ministries and charting that and actually like making some action steps, um, mm-hmm. consulting people when you're doing that at the same time you're doing that. Um, and then actually taking action on the things, um, that you've evaluated needs to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Agree with you. Uh, everything you said really, um, this is this is really really good stuff, um, and I, would, I, would, I and before we finish, just one word of encouragement, maybe from from you to people who um, maybe have your lived experience, same kind of a similar kind of lived experience, who are you know um, our ace or grey or or 
any combination of any combination of those demisexual, any of those things who are struggling to find a community and need some hope. Yeah. Um, it's hard. Like, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you, Oh, just go find it. I call find the other F word because it's, <laughs> it's another four letter word starting with F. Um, but it's so true that um, they are out there and to keep looking and to get connected with people. And if somebody excludes you at the first uh, keep looking, you know, don't give up um, because it's true that God made you the way you are. He made you good. He made you the way that you're supposed to be. You're not supposed to be something else. You don't have to pretend to be something else. Um, you're not an alien. You're not a robot. You're not inhuman for not liking or wanting the same things that other people like and want. Um, and it's society's messed up, not you. You know, um, all this thing we're just trying to fit in with this heteronormative society. Um, and so we must be wrong. But the truth is that um, society is not set up for people like us. And that's not our fault. And so we can adapt in ways like having good, strong friendships and having connections with our church, with our um, intergenerational family, whether that's found family or blood family or um, just the people in your neighborhood. Um, you know, so you can have, you can have love. You, you are so loved and you can love others so well, even if it's not romantic love. And even if it's not sexual love, there's so much love out there in the world for you. Um, and so to keep seeking it because it's not going to be easy and people don't understand us. Um, but to just keep looking and not give up because it's there. And, um, I truly do believe that however long it takes, because God takes a long time to do things sometimes. Um, but just to keep listening and following and um, staying in connection with God, with whatever that looks like to you. If it's prayer, great. If it's the Bible, great. But if it's not, that's fine. Go into nature or go, um, you know, pet your dog or, you know, whatever, wherever you see God, if it's in the kitchen, um, baking, if it's, um, Whitewater rafting. I don't know. Like <laughs> I have people in my life who see God in the Bible and in scripture through uh, daily devotionals. And I have people who see God most when they're out on a mountain. Um, so I, I think there's such, there's a wide variety of ways that we can connect with God, but um, don't let your lack of an affirming church in your neighborhood keep you from connecting with the God of the universe because God is so much bigger than the churches that are in your small town or neighborhood or whatever. Brilliant. Love that. Love that so much. Thank you, Jenna. Yeah. Um, it's been wonderful. Um, it's really been great and encouraging and challenging uh, and everything. Um, where can people connect with you on online on social media and things? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Jenna, J-E-N-N-A underscore D-E-W-I-T-T. Or on my website at the Invisible Cake Society.com. Fantastic. I would really encourage you to all connect with Jenna and her work. Um, she's doing some amazing things. Uh, and uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you. And uh, thank you for listening, everybody.